Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have uh, quite a few contributors joining us today, I'm proud to say. We're going to have a report from Boston, from Tom Burka, who's actually acting as Radio Parallax's uh, reporter at the Democratic National Convention. In our second segment today, we're going to hear from Jim DiEugenio, who's going to talk about the upcoming Manchurian Candidate film, which opens across the nation tomorrow. We were going to have uh, Sirhan Sirhan's attorney, Lawrence Teeter, speak to us about the real-life Manchurian Candidate, possibly aspects of uh, the Bobby Kennedy assassination, but Jim is going to fill in for him today. And I think he will do well. We've talked to Jim many times in the past. We um, will hopefully be able to bring Mr. Teeter on the show in August. In our third segment today, we will speak to Paul Dorn of the California Bicycle Coalition about the Tour de France. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, as usual. And we're also hoping in our third segment to go speak with Rutherford B. Hayes V. Uh, Ford Hayes, of course, is an intern here at KDVS, and he always has some insights for us. All right. Where to begin? Well, let's begin with Andy Borowitz. We like to start off the show on a lighter note. Andy Borowitz uh, is writing for an article for the New York Times. Had a, an article last weekend, sneak preview to the Cheney-Edwards upcoming vice presidential debate, and had some suggested questions that he thinks they should uh, be asked during the high-stakes face-off. Included among questions for Edwards... He had 10 of them. I'll pick a few of them. Number three, agree or disagree with the following statement. Litigators are opportunistic leeches who are sucking the lifeblood from our nation's economy. (laughs) Number four, on average, how many times a day do you check yourself out in shiny surfaces? (laughs) Number seven, what is your secret to remaining fully conscious when John Kerry is giving a speech? And number 10, Do you have any idea how late it is? This is a school night, mister. And questions for Dick Cheney. Andy Borowitz, comedian. Winner of the National Press Club's first award for humor. All right, question number one for Cheney. Former Senator Alphonse D'Amato has suggested President Bush dump you from the ticket. What is your response to him in two words? (laughs) Number six. Exactly when did you remove Kenneth Lay from your online buddy list? Number seven, Mr. Vice President, if there are no plans to reinstate the draft, why did you just request a sixth deferment? (laughs) Number eight, is it true that you wept during Darth Vader's death scene? (laughs) Uh, And my favorite, number nine, if anything happened to you while serving a second term, would George Bush be fit to be president? All right. Now, uh, we told you on last week's show, and for that matter, the week before that, that if you want to follow what's going on, 
in the Electoral College, which is how, after all, we elect presidents in the U.S., you should go either to mockelection.org or 270towin.com. Then you can compare that to various poll data that's out there and see where things stand. Well, I was rather stunned to see that both on MSNBC and uh, through AP and the Sacramento Bee, the first headline has been put forward of late uh, on this that says as follows. Now, keep in mind that we've instructed you to go through and do this, and you will see that John Kerry has a rather commanding lead in the Electoral College. But according to the AP, the headline is as follows. Bush narrowly winning an electoral vote forecast. Well, I, we are extremely suspicious of this. When you start adding up the numbers like with Pennsylvania and Oregon, you see that this just simply is not so. Bush does not have a narrow lead. The best you can say about it is he's narrowly behind. But don't take my word for it. Go check it out. This is a story we will continue to follow with you as, um, as polls continue to come in and we see which way states are going to lean. Now, I have a confession to make. This program today is pre-recorded. It's never been aired, but it's pre-recorded. Uh, while, uh, while my voice is coming out to you, I will, in fact, be in Washington, D.C., I'll be going to Washington, I'll be traveling through Ohio, I'll be traveling through Missouri. I'm going to be able to see firsthand the mood of the country in the Midwest, in some of these swing states, and I'm going to be uh, pleased to report back uh, what I see to you um, either next week or the week after. Now, we mentioned on last week's program that there's going to be a new addition to a local radio, local talk radio, over at KXJZ. The program Insight started out uh, on Monday of last week. On the first program, Jeffrey Carlson interviewed three people who are a part of this controversy over building a new downtown stadium. And by the way, you know, thank God for the print media. I mean, if we weren't able to go out and pull articles out of the Sacramento Bee, the Sacramento News and Review, AP, whatever, um, you know, it'd be very difficult to know what's going on in the world because you're certainly not going to find out by watching television. But... Um, on Insight, uh, the people representing the Maloof brothers claimed oh, there's no way that the Maloofs are like, you know, trying to like, uh, you know, threaten this city in any way using the Sacramento Kings. And I heard that and thought, oh, seems to run counter to what I've heard. In fact, shortly after that, in R.E. Grasswich's column in The Bee, he noted that Joe and Gavin Maloof of course, they've been pushing very hard for an arena vote. They wanted to put on the ballot in November uh, a, a measure, which was not spelled out how it would be funded, but was more or less, would you like to see a new arena for the Kings, yes or no? Of course, the fact that it's going to be publicly funded is what the Maloofs are, are really uh, in love with. But in uh, Grasswich's column, he noted that uh, Joe and Gavin probably won't uh, be able to put enough influence on Sacramento's Mayor Heather Fargo for their priceless Taj Maloof. Mayor Fargo, of course, is very concerned the Sacramento Kings might take their ball and go elsewhere. Well, we'd like to start a, a, a collection here on this program that uh, if, any, if we can help the Sacramento Kings, if they really feel they have to go elsewhere, please, I know, let's get some student volunteers together, let's get some funding together, and see if we can't help them pack. So yeah, I mean, in, in the Metro section on the B on July 18th, the, the headline from Terry Hardy, B staff writer, Maloof's lead push for, air, for arena vote. And of course, Mayor Heather Fargo, I'll say one thing about her. She will go to bat for you if you're a billionaire. If you're Angelo Sacopoulos or the Maloof brothers, she will certainly do everything that she can 
to make sure that your stay here in Sacramento is comfortable as possible. But I want to quote Marcos Breton from the Bee, who had a summary of what happened when they had a city council meeting about this very issue. Breton noted the goings-on in last Thursday's city council meeting and uh, noted that uh, in spite of their aw shucks images, uh, it should be clear to Sacramentans by now that uh, these guys break bones behind closed doors. And he notes that behind closed doors being the operative words. It's all about sports in America today, with communities pledging hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to build arenas for billionaire owners and millionaire players. And in Sacramento, it's all about the Kings. Even among legions of non-sports arena fans in town who like the buzz the Kings bring to Sacramento. Everyone knows this, except, of course, Mayor Heather Fargo. She began Thursday's Theater of the Absurd by saying with a straight face that this whole arena Kings deal is not about sports. If this were a news column and not a sports column, I would spend the rest of this space dissecting that preposterous notion and asking Sacramento voters how they feel about this kind of representation. Hear, hear. Breton goes on to say, let's focus instead on the king's horses and all the king's men, because the Maloofs have played this arena thing to their liking from day one. They've been taking cues from a political consultant named Richie Ross, who's also worked with Fargo, Councilwoman Sandy Sheedy, Councilman Robbie Waters, and others. It is a huge conflict of interest for Ross and a huge example of influence buying by the Maloofs, question mark. All I know is this. A majority of the council was massing against the November arena ballot proposal that lacked financial details. Suddenly, the majority flipped after Sheedy told her stunned council colleagues she had just talked to NBA Commissioner David Stern. He told her that if the Maloofs wanted to leave Sacramento, he would be, quote, hard-pressed to say no. Says Breton, hmm, I wonder who arranged that phone conversation. So we're going to get to vote on this in March, is what it looks like now. Uh, the Maloofs are not happy with city manager Bob Thomas, according to, to Marcos Breton. Apparently Thomas doesn't chop-chop whenever the Maloofs crook their fingers. It's also illustrative to note that when Gavin Maloof spoke Thursday night and made claims about the financial windfalls arenas bring, these claims are contradicted by every academic study ever done. Okay, but really is, what really is telling is that at some point along the way, Councilman Steve Cohn suggested the Maloofs in the city split the arena cost 50-50, and the Maloofs were so offended that Cohn didn't warn them he'd make such a public suggestion, they stormed out of the council chambers. I think we can summarize this whole thing as follows. Well, you know, that's about it. What a bunch of babies. Okay, if you want to go somewhere else, take your team and go somewhere else. I couldn't care less about the Sacramento Kings, and most people I know feel that way. If, people, if you think this makes us a big league town here in, the, in this region, that we have a professional basketball team, I think you got rocks in your head. This might be a good time to point out that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of KDVS, the University of California at Davis, or the UC Regents. They're only my own opinions, but doggone it. Well, no, they're my opinions and that of Marcos Breton, and, and we want to thank him for the fine uh, column he put out, standing up to this nonsense of taking taxpayers' money and, uh, and funding things that billionaires really ought to be able to do for themselves. We need to get some urban planners on here in the future, and we're going we're to try and do that. I know we, I do so much forward promoting on this show, but we, we, we usually come through sooner or later. 
So I'm going to talk about what arenas really do for cities. This idea that they are windfalls and it's not just about corporate welfare is, uh, is disproved by many, many investigations. And we need to talk about that because this issue is not going to go away. All right, let us now go to Boston, Massachusetts, to the Democratic National Convention with uh, our correspondent, Tom Burka. Tom, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Doug? We're doing quite well out here. What, uh, what, uh, what's the scene over there in, uh, at, at, convention, it, at the convention? It, it, it's, it's both insane and, and breathtaking. Uh, when I first got uh, to the convention, uh, they, they hosted a, a breakfast for uh, the bloggers, and, uh, which was actually kind of cool because uh, Dean came in and spoke to us. Uh, and, uh, oh. Yeah. Dean, Dean came in and he said that... Um, well, one of the things that we asked him was why he didn't respond to the, the scream, uh, the, the constant rebroadcasting of the scream, and, right. uh, and do some, some damage control on that and kind of rebut. Right. Uh, what did he say? He said, uh, he said, you know, when they lost Iowa, he said the, the scream had nothing to do with uh, his downfall. He said by... By that time, he was already dead. When they lost Iowa to John Kerry, he said uh, they knew their campaign was over. And, uh, and, and he did make some derogatory comments about the media, but he uh, was careful to say that, you know, I don't, I, I'm not saying this because I blame the media for, you know, my not being nominated, to, you know, on Thursday. He said yeah. uh, it, was, it was totally my mistake. I don't know. He's he's being awfully conciliatory. I think they reamed him on that one. <laughs> it seemed to us that he was sincere and that well, what he actually said was that the scream had no impact on his campaign because wow. it was already dead. Mm. Uh, and Ralph Nader thinks he's taking as many votes away from Bush as from as from uh, Kerry. Um, what what's the most curious thing you observed there? I was down near the press filing center, which is right off of the convention floor. And uh, I saw the, the New Yorker has a little curtained-off section there. Uh, many of the news organizations have their own little curtained-off sections. And in fact, the bigger news organizations have built, um, you know, fake rooms in which to have their headquarters. Uh, okay. And, uh, and so there was some guy standing out there, and I said, you know, who, who, who's covering this for the New Yorker? And he said, uh, well, nobody's really covering it, but Richard Abaddon is here. <laughs> the photographer. And, Richard Abbott, I'm the photographer, and so, uh, you know, I, I explained who I was, and the guy got this look of intense interest. He was a young, very hip-looking guy dressed all in black, and he, he, uh -huh. he, Richard Abaddon's assistant, and he runs into this curtained-off room, and I think, <laughs> oh, Richard Abaddon is going to take my picture, you know, I mean, because the guy says that he's just, Abaddon's just waiting around to take people's pictures, you uh -huh. know, uh, which I assumed was celebrities, but I thought, hey, this might be great. He brings <laughs> Family out these, portrait, sure. Richard yeah. Abaddon. Uh, Richard Abaddon. Yeah. Right. And he brings out these assistants who uh, he introduces me to, and it becomes apparent that Richard Abaddon has no interest in taking my picture. <laughs> um, but what does come out uh, are two very strange things. Uh, one that, you know, for security reasons, they don't tell Abaddon who's there. Abaddon has to submit a list of like a hundred people who, if they happen to be there, he'd like to photograph. Okay. Uh, he, but he's not allowed to know who he's photographing until they bring them by. <laughs> and they wouldn't tell me who, if any, 
somebody he'd photographed. But while I'm there, all of a sudden... Well, it seems like a very sensible precaution to prevent terrorism in my mind. Yeah, to whatever celebrities who <laughs> might be photographed by uh, Richard Avedon, I suppose, uh, you know, blank clothes. I think it would be a priority to cut Richard Avedon right out of the loop on this whole deal. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that Richard Avedon is an immense national security concern. <laughs> the man leaks like a sieve. That's what they told me. They said that he's totally untrustworthy, and uh, I think that his classification is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. no foreign no foreign secrets are allowed to be passed to Richard yeah. Avedon. Although Ahmed Chalabi, uh, uh, strangely <laughs> enough, is, uh, you can give him anything. But uh, aside from that, while I'm talking to the Avedon people, uh, the door of the ABC Pavilion opens, and, and uh, Sam Donaldson is standing there, looking looking like he's been stuffed and mounted. He, uh, honestly, he was so still, I was very concerned. And he looked terrible. I mean, huge circles under his eyes. And I said to the Avedon people, oh, my God, there's Sam Donaldson. He looks awful. And they said, well, yeah, he's Sam Donaldson. <laughs> he's supposed to look bad. Always the diplomats. But while I'm doing this, Avedon suddenly swoops out of this little uh, curtained-off area uh, and plunges into the crowd with intense energy. And the Avedon people said, he's, he's looking for Wolf Blitzer. Okay. He, he's obsessed with Wolf Blitzer. And I said, well, you know, I'm sure that wouldn't Wolf Blitzer sit for him, you know, for a, a, a photograph any time that Avedon wanted? Well, you'd think. Yeah, you would think. But uh, they said, oh, he doesn't want his photograph. He's just, he's obsessed with him because he thinks that Wolf Blitzer is really many different people. Oh. Very, very seriously, they talked to me about it for quite some time. And I mentioned that, you know, Wolf Blitzer does seem rather mechanical and unrealistic. And they said, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, strangely, as if on cue, Wolf Blitzer walked by and he looked rather robotic. And I might add, his beard in person is really not as foreboding as it appears on television. <laughs> it seems rather slight, very, uh, very mm -hmm. trim, uh, like a thin layer of uh, gray Velcro covering his face. So um, you, you attach some, uh, some credibility to this theory. Uh, yeah, I subscribe to it now, <laughs> uh, I think. And, and I discussed it with some other people who said that they think that uh, they're pretty sure they've seen Wolf Blitzer on television doing two bits at the same time on two different channels. Hmm. Which, well, this is this is what we're going to have to follow up on, I think. I think so. I think Wolf Blitzer may be... It, it, it was a little unclear to me whether he's a robot or whether <laughs> he's been cloned or whether it's some kind of combination of the two. Well, Tom, I know that as we're, we've confessed to our audience, this is a pre-recorded bit. We're going to have to follow up with you uh, after the convention. But um, hopefully you can pull some thoughts together and, 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 and tell us some, some other adventures. I hope so. I hope so. I mean... Uh, you know, I mean, they say the con convention's very scripted, but, uh, you know, my answer to that is to, to just make make things up. Well, that, yeah, I think that's a sound policy. Let, let's, let's touch base in two weeks. And your All website right. again, www.tomburka.com, where I'm sure you'll be updating your findings uh, uh, on a daily basis. Thank you very much, Doug. All Always a pleasure to be here. All righty. George W. Bush made the news last week when he went before the Urban League in Michigan to suggest that blacks might want to consider that being represented by one political party, i.e. Democrats, might not serve them well. He suggested himself as an alternative, noting that a special interest group was being established via his Commerce Department and Small Business Administration. This group will help the Urban League fund minority businesses and entrepreneurs.
Bush's visit came after polls of African Americans showed that four in five in the U.S. do not believe that Bush legitimately won the 2000 election. In 2000, blacks favored Al Gore over Bush 9 to 1. Bush's speech came after remarks by State Representative John Papagori, who stated the GOP would fare poorly in Michigan if it, quote, failed to suppress the Detroit vote, unquote, in the upcoming election. Papagori later said his remarks should not be construed as racist. Here to discuss this development is GOP race relations expert, Mississippi Senator Trent Lott. Senator, welcome back. Well, I'm glad to be back. The Kerry camp has criticized the Bush record on helping blacks. One must ask, is this new effort not an election year ploy? Oh, the sincerity of the GOP should not be doubted. We were founded as an anti-slavery party, and in the Reconstruction, many a scalawag and carpetbag and Yankee traipsed down to Dixie to enforce civil rights. Well, Senator, no one denies the Republican Party's stand on principle, you know, around the Civil War, but all those Democrats who used to fight civil rights in the Old South became Republicans in the last generation, like Strom Thurmond. Now, I've said quite enough about Strom Thurmond. Let's talk about the president's goals. Well, new minority businesses? If we can funnel a lot of money into new liquor stores, car washes, beauty parlors, I think we can buy a lot of goodwill with the coloreds. You know how those black gals just love their big, long fingernails. Let's help them out. Well, Senator, do you really think blacks are going to vote for Bush based on a few new minority businesses getting started? I do. Y'all know how excited they get. And by the way, this whole thing about suppressing votes, people's intentions, I think, were well-meaning. Well, how so? We'll take Florida. I think they honestly thought down there that a lot of those felons were not allowed to vote. They're just trying to enforce the law. Even when they had the wrong dates of birth, wrong criminal records, and sometimes wrong names for those exclusions? Well, accidents happen, son. And the talk of suppressing the Detroit vote, what about that? Well, that old boy did not choose his words carefully, <laughs> something I can relate to. But I suspect he meant to say, address the Detroit vote, not suppress. There's a world of difference. Well, I think that's the point, Senator. Look, you got to ask yourself, if you're a colored man, a woman, or even a little Piccaninny in pigtails, who do you want to cast your lot with in the future? N no pun intended. A party that takes you for granted? Or... Or a party that would like you to not vote at all. Oh, now come on, that ain't fair. It ain't? No. I'm asking every African-American and mulatto and even your quadroons and your octoroons, when you think about casting your lot, think about the grand old party. Well, Senator, we'll see how this plays out in November. We will. Especially with the Detroit vote. Listen, if a lot of the coloreds are stocking up their new liquor store with Colt 45 or they're holed up in some beauty parlor painting their toes instead of voting, well, it's their decision. Senator Trent Lott, GOP race relations spokesman. We always enjoy hearing from you. Please come again. Oh, I sure would love to. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this is Radio Parallax.